Welcome to Boardroom Media. My name is Velvet Bell Templeman, and I'm here talking to Paul Gooley, National Head of Corporate Finance at Grant Thornton, and Cyrus Church, Director of New Capital, a tech-enabled corporate finance firm specialising in private institutional debt and equity transactions. When times are tough, cash is king. But when the big banks start pulling back, where do you go for that all-important funding? Today we're talking about access to finance and alternative debt. With the financial crisis in 2008 taking nearly five years to recover, what types of finance can we expect from this COVID-induced recession? Will investors just go back to the normal big four financiers once all this is done and dusted? Thanks so much for joining us, Paul and Cyrus. Thank you. Thank you. We're here talking about financing and alternative debt, but Cyrus, tell me, why would anyone want to put their money into the market at a time like this? Look, it's a great question, and the simple answer is people need to put their money somewhere, right? We've got this weird market circumstance where equity markets are trading at very, very high valuations, but the economic conditions are probably something that you can only describe as as awful. Now, for people who want to take the safer option and put the money in their bank or buy government bonds, the returns they're getting there now are are negligible. You're just getting a a zero or or even a negative real return if you take into consideration inflation. So you're going backwards. Uh, So the age-old adage of put your money under the bed is a waste. Well, well, the cash markets now is basically putting your money under the bed because you're not going forward. Now, this has caused this rise of alternative asset classes, which is private equity, which is debt funds, which are offering a a longer term or through the cycle kind of yield, which is going to be above inflation. So we're seeing that increased allocation from super funds towards these asset classes. So you've got these pools of, of major money, which is out there, who are looking for returns, which is good because we need that liquidity right now. And from what I've seen, the banks aren't really lending right now. So what are the options out there? Well, the banks aren't lending. They are extending credit, though, to their current clients. So there's definitely been a fair bit of credit and liquidity by the banks to their current clients. But it's fair to say if you're a new credit for the bank or an extension above your current facilities, the market is very tight. And we would expect that to continue, particularly if we go into a recession. Uh, If you're in the public markets, there's been significant secondary raisings in March, April and and May, uh, as you would expect. That, again, will be uh, avenues for public companies. But if you're in the private markets, there, there is a whole range of different providers outside the banks, whether, it, as Cyrus mentioned, there's credit funds, hedge funds more at the institutional level, but also the family office and the high net worth individuals, they do play in that alternative debt market. And more, more and more, we're seeing the, the neo banks, the fintech, who have raised capital and are able to, to play in that alternative debt market above where the traditional banks would play. But it's a good point. I mean, it, I think there is still the perception in the Australian marketplace that if, if your bank says no, then that's it. You're out of options, which is definitely not the case. Uh, there are large pools of money out there which operate in that hybrid space, that higher yield debt or that debt plus a little bit of an equity kicker, uh, which are available for mid-market Australian companies, particularly high-quality ones, to access. And they can be a far more attractive option than, uh, than raising further equity. Uh, and just a, a lot of companies just aren't aware that that money's out there. So a big part of what we've been trying to do at New Capital is 
is raise that awareness that if your bank says no and equity is not available or you don't want to go to it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't still pursue this opportunity. There is other forms of capital out there for you. What are you seeing in the marketplace and from your clients? It's fair to say that we're in a bit of a hiatus at the moment. Uh, Clients have had a a couple of different things. They've had a lot of stimulus from government in many respects through JobKeeper. They've had landlords providing moratoriums. The banks, as we said, have been providing moratoriums at least for the June quarter and, and probably for the September quarter as well. So there's been a lot of stimulus and support for clients. So, and a lot of them are just trying to hold until they see what does demand look like coming out of the crisis. As I said, there's been a lot of secondary raisings, but in the private markets, private equity has obviously got a lot of capital, but again, they are looking for positive sort of COVID opportunities. And so there hasn't been a lot of deals done in that area. So at the moment, we're just seeing really a bit of a holding pattern for most clients. I think everyone's trying to work out what does the new demand look like when we come out of this and, and we go move into, a, I guess, more of a traditional recessional period. And really, as I said, with all of those different stimuluses, the landlord support, but also very importantly, the, the insolvency law moratoriums at the moment, we would expect that uh, when they come off, now whether that's the, the last quarter or the first quarter of next year, uh, we would expect, uh, I guess, increase in, in clients looking for liquidity, looking for other options, given they're going to need to, to resize their businesses. And some of them are coming out, will come out quite strong into the demand that they face, and they'll need working capital facilities. So as Cyrus mentioned, there are opportunities to do that because we do believe that the banks traditionally would will, will come off a little bit and tighten their, their banking requirements and will focus on their clients. So there will be requirements to fund the working capital as they come out. And those alternative sources are going to be a a key place for for clients to go to. I'd echo those comments. I mean, I think we are in a bit of a quiet before the storm where everyone's just waiting to see what will happen. Uh, And the first movers will be those who have to do something, those who need the new money. I think, as Paul mentioned, the, the banks are being supportive of clients, but it's one thing to provide waivers of covenants, extensions on facility due dates, it's another thing if they need more money, if, it, if it's new money going in. That's where I think banks will struggle and that's what will force outcomes in the short term. But right now, a lot of businesses are saying, well, if JobKeeper continues, uh, our cash hole isn't that great. If JobKeeper abruptly stops, well, our cash hole is going to be huge and then we will need to do something. I suppose the message we've been telling clients is that you need to be having contingency plans in place for if there is a sudden stop or if there is a recession, you need to have the liquidity. It's the people with the cash who will survive and thrive in the new world. It's the people who find themselves with a very short runway who need capital, who will be subject to predatory approaches by private equity or very onerous terms from, from lenders. It sounds like we're not seeing a lot of deals closing right now. What might be preventing some of the businesses from accessing capital? Uh, Look, from my perspective, I think it's it's still valuation expectations. I mean, we had a period there where the ASX completely crashed in March. Um, Now, that led to a a series of secondary raises and a very dramatic market recovery. And so some of the smarter companies have tapped those equity markets and, and have sought to repair balance sheets. A lot of the other companies have said, well, uh, we don't want to do anything right now unless we have to because we're just not sure of what the future is being. Paul and I were working on a a sale process uh, uh, last year and then COVID hit and the value has halved in terms of 
this vendor was looking at a price and now the price has on three different bidders has gone down by 50%. And that's making them rethink the entire transaction. And I think that's the story which is playing out all over the market. People are a little bit reluctant to buy if there is a prolonged downturn and earnings don't come back, whereas vendors are still looking at what their earnings were last year and trying to value it off that. So until we hit a stable ground, which I don't think we'll see until this government support comes off, uh, it's just going to be very hard to match vendor expectations and uh, and investor expectations on the equity side. And that's why I think as well, going back to those alternative debt spaces, those providers of funders in a debt capacity can be very useful in bridging that impasse. Well, is there anything we can learn from the GFC that might apply a lens to what's happening now and what will happen in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the GFC was the last, I guess, dislocation of financial markets. It was it was predominantly a financial liquidity crisis rather than an economic crisis, although around the world that followed apart from Australia, where we didn't go into a technical recession. But differently, what we saw out of the GFC was a tightening of liquidity from the traditional sources. And if you look at it in both public and private markets, that took up to five years to come back from where it was before the GFC. Over that period after GFC, the non-bank providers did capture some of that market share. But to be honest, back then, not a lot of them had the capacity to fund that. And also that there wasn't as much technology as the current providers have. And they're nimble and they're able to to, to provide these sort of non-traditional banking and, and lending sources where they weren't probably in a position, say, 10 years ago. So we do think that the non-bank lenders will play a fairly large part in funding that hole that arises through the liquidity. Although, as Cyrus mentioned, it will be a race to who's got the best story and who's got the best business case. And therefore, you know, we are encouraging people to get ready and, and make sure you have a well-articulated story, particularly on you know, what does it look like in the next couple of years as you come out of covid because there will be opportunities to fund across the market and these providers will have the choice to be able to choose which, which credits they take. So being actually prepared for that, being having a good story and being able to work out you know, where the market's going to uh, level out for you in your business and, and how you're going to service the debt that you're going to ask for is very key in being able to, to access this funding. Yeah, I think what we saw in the GFC, funding costs spiked quite dramatically. There was just a, a, the, the, the cogs of credit slowed up. One thing we're looking at quite closely is arrears and default rates uh, across both the non-bank and bank lenders because if that starts ticking up and if unemployment does spike and, and people stop paying back their debts, that's what can really throw a spanner in, in, in the wheels of credit and that can have a a very serious flow-on effect, and it could turn out to be an, another full-blown GFC off the back of this. And CBA released recently one in eight of their mortgages applying for hardship provisions. Anecdotally, we had another customer which came across our desk who's a, a provider of loans to small to medium businesses. The arrears rate there is tracking at 40%. Uh, that's cafes, small business owners who take thirty, $40,000 loans. Uh, so that's the kind of thing where where it, it can really hurt and, and can take a long time to recover because if the banks do start having uh, provisions shooting up, then the time it takes for them to go back to more normal lending levels uh, will be extended. And that's where it can take five years plus to come back. In the GFC, I think also what we saw was it, we were still doing restructures and workouts 
five years into the future, it was in 2013, uh, we were still doing restructures of balance sheets which were broken from back in 2007, 2008. It's just a lot of companies were in denial. They were still looking at their earnings from 2006 and saying, well, when it recovers to that, then uh, our, our debt levels will be fine. Uh, so I think we're going to see a similar thing. I, I, I can see us still receiving earnings in 2023, which is still trying to normalise back to 2019 levels to say, well, we don't have a problem here. Um, and it's only until uh, banks start taking enforcement action or, or, or private equity start throwing the keys at lenders that we'll start to see that work its way through the system. And as Cyrus mentioned, I think it, the, the difficult part at the moment and what's really stopping transactions is the, the ability to be able to forecast forward. Although we're in this period, we've never, no one in this, in this market's been in such a situation where we're coming out of something so dire as, as the health crisis and then we're trying to work out what is demand for your products going to be. Uh, that's where, I guess, good forecasting comes into place where you can sensitise downside scenarios and you can work your way through and, and work out what, what is a likely outcome odds on we won't be able to work that out maybe for a couple of quarters yet until the market starts to recover from an economic perspective but at least you can provide downside scenarios where the lenders can have a look at that and go okay even in a downside scenario if all these play out then we can still service the debt we can we can move it forward and and trade out on the other side so getting prepared for that is is crucial because at the moment you know it's very difficult to predict say one month out let alone you know three years out and and lenders need to to have that Review. They need to understand what what's my downside. What what is the risk here of default, so that I can structure something that will get get us through that period. And having a good story, obviously, to come out of that period, and how you're going to trade, and how you're going to take advantage of the new sort of paradigms that have arisen through this crisis, whether it be work from home, or telehealth, and those sort of areas. How how can you how can your business take advantage of the new paradigm that's come through work practices and 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 where the demand is going to be going forward. And being, and being in a financial position to take advantage of that, uh, as, I, as I said, a lot of our smartest clients are getting their balance sheet in a position where they can take advantage of these changes, where they can gain dramatic market share. There will be opportunities which fall out of this where people need to do a transaction in order to dig their way out of a hole just because they're, they're still sitting in debt and they're still waiting for the return of 2019 earnings, which is a, a horrible way to be. You need to be planning for if there is an extended down period, having enough cash and liquidity to take advantage of that market circumstance. And there is people out there who have available liquidity to, to put you in that position. So alternative debt, private equity, is this something that will be around for a while? Or when things recover, will people go straight back to the banks? The banks will always be the cheapest source of funding. But in these market circumstances, banks will go risk off and they will not push the envelope. So the amount of capital that uh, banks will make available to you will become less and less. So in terms of the overall funding pie that you need to solve for, banks will always be a part of that. But uh, I think increasingly as banks go, we need to preserve our balance sheet, we need to go risk off. The loan to value ratio that they're willing to do or the multiple of cash flow earnings that they're willing to do, particularly as to Paul's point, given forecasts are now are now very very fudgy. You can't really have a concrete forecast in the current environment. So their willingness to do aggressive cash flow lending it will disappear. So for the next three years, even five years, I can definitely see 
these alternative funders playing a critical role for companies who have a high conviction and who have investment opportunities which are which are going to add value to their shareholders. Um, and and they're a lot more flexible than a bank. So whilst a bank is cheaper, I think a lot of these alternatives will be able to have a deeper understanding of the company, will be able to be flexible in terms of the cash requirements that they have. They can take uh, non-cash components. They can take equity upside. They can really sit down and have an intelligent conversation with a company about what they actually need and structure something which will work for them. As opposed to the banks, which you'll see more and more, it'll be, well, we only lend 50% LVR. And, and the computer said, no, that's, that's our new lending policy and it'll come down from on high. Uh, their ability to be flexible, to be uh, client-driven will become less and less. They'll probably retreat back. And that's certainly what we saw in European banks post-GFC. They retreat back to their core personal banking, residential mortgages, uh, credit cards, those type of products, or lending if there's residential property supporting it. Not, not your aggressive private equity sponsor-led transactions, certainly not acquisition finance at any sort of meaningful uh, level. Um, so yes, I, I can see alternative debt, and particularly going back to the first point that we raised, that there is a wave of alternative debt available now as well, as superannuation funds seek returns which are in that high single digit uh, outside of market volatility. There's a wave of money available to it, but as banks withdraw, it's going to be a key part of the capital structure for at least the next five years. And I would agree with that. I, just a clarification, I guess, from a bank's perspective, what we saw after the GFC, which was different to before the GFC, was how much the banks supported their client base. And as Cyrus, I think, mentioned earlier on, we would definitely expect the banks to support their client base. That will, in certain circumstances, mean increases in credit limits for certain circumstances, and it may be, yeah, they might have more assets to cover that coverage. But we don't foresee anywhere where the banks are going to go aggressive on their client base. I think they're going to to go deeper on their clients, particularly the ones they know. They're going to you know, keep the lines in, in place. Uh, as Cyrus mentioned, what we saw is that it, it, they'll work out these, these issues over an extended period of time, so three to five years. But whilst they're focused on that, that's, I guess, where it makes it very difficult to write new credit. The other thing that will happen, I guess, as as time progresses is that they'll take a sector-by-sector-based approach to new credit uh, and they tend to, to have sectors where they'll like to lend into and sectors where they probably won't lend for a while and that, and that may change over time. Again, so there will be credit available but I think it's safe to say that that traditionally they would they would tighten standards for for a period of time and they will focus on you know, maintaining their relationships with their current clients and, and help helping them to get through this this period. In relation to private equity, these are always opportunities for private equity to to have a uh, what they would call a, a good vintage deal, which is a, a deal that, 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 that where valuations are slightly lower than usual and, and they can then grow that business by two to three times over the next three to five years to make um, some good returns. So there's definitely a lot of available capital as well with these private equity firms. At the moment, they are really looking at some of the thesis coming out of out of the crisis being it whether it's you know it enabled businesses in healthcare and business services outsourcing etc and we would expect that to continue on and, and as the market develops and as we get a i guess more sort of vision of what, what the new demand levels look like I, I think they'll broaden that um, but definitely 
will be focused on businesses that are going to be, I guess, positive to COVID or at least protected from COVID coming out of this and have opportunities to, to take advantage of the new the, the new ways we work, the new ways people buy things, et cetera, the new macro shifts that we've seen and will probably be around for at least you know an extended period of time and businesses that are well-placed to take advantage of that will attract private equity and, and will be able to you know make good returns going forward. So it is going to be an interesting period. I, I guess the, the overarching theme here is that these things don't resolve themselves in a sort of V-shaped recovery that some commentators would suggest. These things usually take time to work through the system. Um, and given the depth of this potential recession coming, um, you, would, you would expect this to be a, an extended sort of return to liquidity over you know, a three to five year period. Paul and Cyrus, thank you for your time. Thank you, Velvet. Perfect. Thanks, Velvet. You can find further information on how COVID-19 might affect your business and assistance is available to you on the Grant Thornton COVID-19 hub at www.grantthornton.com.au forward slash COVID-19. My name is Velvet Bell Templeman and you're listening to Boardroom Media.